0: The uh, reason I share this, though, is even though things have been up and down, we've always had people to go to for advice. We've had our church family, our regular family, and people jumping up and down to babysit. And we also have a lot of books out there, a lot of books that tell you how, give you tips on how to raise children. Here's one in particular: uh, safe baby handling tips. Some of you guys may have seen these. Uh, some handy tips. I won't show them all, but here's a couple. The first one. Uh, is exercising your baby. And also, kind of want to point out there's do's and don'ts. There's a right way and a wrong way to do everything. So, in exercising the baby, <laughs> it turns out you do not need exercise equipment. And this is why Allison is in charge of Lydia's exercise program and I am not. So, along with the idea that there's do's and don'ts, there's ways to learn lessons the hard way and ways to learn things the easy way. So, if you read the books or you go to have good advice, you kind of learn things the easy way. So this next lesson, you don't want to learn the hard way, and that's checking the baby's diaper. Now, it turns out you only have to take a peek. You only have to peek down there. You don't have to put the whole hand in the diaper to find out if there's something down there. All right, so you don't want to learn this lesson the hard way. Now, I say that, and like I said, there there are a lot of books out there. There's the rights and wrongs, there's do's and don'ts, and, and lessons we learn in life, and most of the time, like I said, they can be learned the easy way or the hard way. They result in reward or penalty, depending on how you do them. And for a lot of things, there's already tons of books out there you can reference. You can go find books on parenting, books on dating, books on how to get a promotion at your job, books on self esteem, books on anything and everything almost that you can imagine under the sun. But what about the things people don't talk about very often? And in that case, what about the do's and don'ts of coveting? So this is a little bit of what we're going to talk to you about today. And you might think at first, wait a second, <laughs> do's and don'ts of coveting? I mean, we're not supposed to covet, right? That's, that's just, you don't do that. The Bible says do not covet, right? That's what it says. Well, I want to challenge your thinking today with this idea that the Bible doesn't necessarily say do not covet. It says do not covet certain things. And there's this context involved, and we'll talk about that today. So what I want to talk about today is those do's and don'ts of coveting, and, and a few other things. The bottom line, coveting, not all coveting is bad. Therefore, covet well. With that, the passages we're going to look at are up all here on the board. You can see we're going to be in wisdom. We're going to be in the law. We're going to be in the letters. So it's so got a lot. Buckle up. It could be a bumpy ride. So here's our preview. I want to talk about the definition of coveting. The don'ts of coveting, the do's of coveting, the decision of coveting, and the dynamic of coveting well. And yes, it took me a long time to find all these D words, but they work. (laughs) So the definition, we see the the word covet itself. This is the Merriam-Webster dictionary. Uh, This is part of the definition. It says to wish for earnestly or to desire inordinately. Now when I say part of, here's an interesting thing that the Webster dictionary adds and they even put it in parentheses. They say to desire what belongs to another inordinately or culpably. So they add to this idea of coveting not just coveting something but coveting someone else's stuff. And I think that's interesting because when you look at other definitions and how it comes up in the Hebrew it's slightly different. And here's what I mean. So Exodus 2017 gives that command, do not covet. That word covet is this Hebrew word, uh, I'm sure I'm going to say it wrong, kamad. Uh It should be more of a at the beginning there. Hamad is the, uh, the beginning, beginning of that, is that word for covet, that root word. And when they define it, when we look at the definition according to the Hebrew uh, dictionary, let's say, lexicon, it just says to desire and try to ota- obtain or to take pleasure in something, whether that's a person or an object or something you treasure. So there, the idea of covet is just that. It doesn't necessarily have to do with coveting someone else's things. And the reason that that's important is when we look at the Old Testament, like I said, the first verse we just looked at was Exodus twenty seventeen, 17 in the law, but we see it again in Psalm nineteen nine and 10. It says, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable And altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey, which comes from the honeycomb." Now that word desirable in this verse in the Hebrew language is that same word, chamad. It's that same one. So it's kind of pointing out that the same word for covet and the same word for desire are the same in Hebrew. And it depends on context. Coveting someone else's stuff or desiring Something good. The same thing happens in the New Testament. In Romans 13:9, Paul restates the, the commands. He states the law, and when he says the word covet, says so do not you know do not commit murder, adultery, steal. Do not covet. It's this word epithemia. And epithemia, in the same way, here's covet to desire someone else's stuff. And then there's uh, the Greek definition or the, the Greek lexicon gives the idea of desiring someone else's things a longing or craving desire for something forbidden so again that's that context you can desire something good you can also desire something forbidden we see that word come up again in luke 22:15, 15 epithumia and this is jesus he says, then he said to them i have fervently desired to eat this passover with you before i suffer and that same word desire is again that word "epithemia," that root word and Luke. So again, all this to say that the definition of covet and desire are synonymous terms. They have a positive or negative connotation. So therefore, coveting or desiring something is not always bad. In fact, God gives us this kind of innate desire, that we always have, and sometimes that's used for good. I mean, that's what, if you're in school and you desire good grades, you're gonna work hard and you're gonna earn those good grades. If you're working, you're, you're gonna do certain things at work and it could drive you to be the better you, the better person that you can be. So it depends on how that desire is focused. So with that in mind, we'll talk about our, our message, the, the don'ts of coveting. We just finished, that was our definition of co- coveting. So we'll move on, the don'ts. Of coveting and again that brings us back to the command Exodus 2017 and oftentimes this is kind of all we remember right the, the command says do not covet and that, that's it nothing else so we, we, we tend to cut off the rest of that verse and, we, and just remember part of it but if we read the whole verse it says this do not covet your neighbor's house do not covet your neighbor's wife his male or female slave his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So there's a context there. It's not just do not covet period. It's do not covet certain things. So when you break that up and we look at the neighbor's house, at least in that Hebrew setting at that time period, it could be the physical home they live in. It could also be their geographical inheritance. So it's like all the land they, they, they own. It could also be their their family. And that could be whether it's their kids or it could be their family line. So when you think about this not coveting, it's kind of like when we think, oh, the grass is greener on the other side, Whereas like our neighbors got better stuff, they got a better yard, better house, whatever, and we covet what they have. Or we might covet specifically like their family or think, you know, if only I was born into Bill Gates' family, things would be better, right? You know, that there's that family line. There's that inheritance. There's other things that, you know, some people are blessed in other ways. This happens to be the way things are. Um, you might think, oh, well, their kids are so much nicer, or well-behaved, you know, my kid's always in trouble, or doing this or that, and, or, you know, their baby never screams or cries or throws up at night, you know. <laughs> hey. So, so there are these things where you, we covet, and, and the bottom line is it's, it's not always that way. When, whenever we see that, we only see what's on the outside. Everybody has their ups and downs. Everybody has their problems, but either way, we, we should not covet our neighbor's family, his house. The other thing it says not to covet is a neighbor's wife. And this kind of falls in the same, guy, same window, You know this idea of coveting your neighbor's spouse. It's the same thing as no matter what, there's, I think I heard somebody say this. It was something like, for every beautiful woman, he's talking to guys, of course, out there, there's a guy who's tired of putting up with her. Uh, and it's vice versa the other way. So I'm not picking on ladies, uh, and, and we can see it. I always say you see it in Hollywood. You see some of the like the, the the most attractive man in GQ will have their GQ magazine, most attractive man in the world, and whatever other magazine. Like this is the most attractive woman in the world, and sometimes you look at it, and that woman's either been divorced a few times, or something's going on. That like there's a reason that we covet these things, but not everybody's perfect. There's no reason to covet someone else's spouse or wife or Or husband and whatnot because the grass isn't greener on the other side but still the bottom line is still do not covet your neighbor's spouse or the next it talks about female slave donkey or anything so this all all in all is just possessions do not covet the belongings of others and that sums sums up the don'ts of coveting the bottom line is do not covet the belongings of others, whether it's you know their house, wife, any other possession. And those are the don'ts of coveting. And like I said, it it leaves you empty if if you go that direction. You if you tried that, you'd find out it's no different really than where you are. So those are the don'ts of coveting. We also have the do's of coveting, and the do's of coveting are in 1 Corinthians 12.31. And this is part of what Larry read today. He did a great job, in fact, because he gave you some context, gave you this verse, 12.31, and then he gave you uh, chapter 13 when he read the scripture reading this morning. Chapter of 1 Corinthians 12.31 says this, But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. And then we look at the context of 1231, like Larry said earlier. There, before he t- says this word, this verse, he's talking about this unity in the church and the church arguing. And, and you hear that passage of, well, you know, does the eyeball say to the foot, I don't need you? Does the foot say to the hand, I don't need you? I can do this on my own. And, and right after that, it talks about the spiritual gifts and says the church was given apostles, prophets, healers, got people who have mastered tongues and, and these, these spiritual gifts. And then he says that line that we just read but desire the greater gifts and i will show you an even better way and then that becomes the question or begs the question what is the better way and that's what larry read this morning really all of chapter 13 is dedicated to that better way that way is the way of jesus and that way is what is sometimes referred to as Paul's hymn on love. Now, I kind of had Larry read that this morning, so I wouldn't have to, because it is a lot to, to talk about, and I, that's another sermon all to itself. So I, I want to kind of review or just hit some highlights. So when he talks about that better way, if we look at chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, it's basically saying you know, if I speak in languages, angelic languages, if I have the gifts, basically the spiritual gifts, they're nothing without love. Then he talks about, in the next few verses, about sacrifice. If I give up everything I have to the poor, if I sacrifice my body, it's worthless without love. And then he talks about the attributes of love. And what's cool about those attributes of love, they mirror the attributes of God. It says that love is kind, love is patient, doesn't envy also says, keeps no records of wrongs. We read in the Bible that God separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. He buries them in the bottom of the deepest ocean. So these attributes are those same attributes of God and of Christ. And in a similar way, as we keep going down that passage, we see that love never ends. Like God, love is eternal. And then he ends it in that last verse, chapter 13. verse 13 of chapter 13 now these three remain faith hope and love but the greatest of these is love and that's the better way love so when we think about what are the dues of coveting it's to covet that, to covet the genuine unconditional eternal love of God that surpasses all other possessions this world has to offer so when I think about those don'ts, even if I had everything, I still wouldn't be happy. Even if I had my neighbor's wife and his donkey, I don't know what I would do with a donkey, but if I had all those things, I, I still would have an emptiness inside because I didn't have love. And not, not, not love as the world sees it, but that agape love, the love of God, the love that can only be obtained through our relationship with God, that is better and greater, than anything we could ever have on this earth. And I can't think of any other way to kind of say that, to, to, to capture that love. But that's the dues of coveting, to covet God, to desire God. Now the decision of coveting. When I say decision, all I really mean is the, the result. So as I said earlier, there's do's and don'ts in life. There's a right way and a wrong way. There is reward or penalty. Uh, another thing I do, some of you guys know, is I'm a CrossFit coach. And we coach some basic movements. One of the most fundamental movements we teach is the deadlift, and which is really just picking up something from the floor up to about right here, standing up with a heavy object. And if you guys have ever done that, any type of picking up anything, you always hear the same thing, right? Lift with your legs, not your back. So there's a reward to that. If you do it right and you lift your legs, you get stronger. There's a penalty, though. If you lift with your back, sooner or later, you're going to injure your back. You don't want that to happen. In the same way, when we have reward or penalty as a result of coveting, I see that in James 1, verses 12 through 15. It says this. I can find it. A man who endures trials is blessed because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, for God is not tempted by evil. And he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death." So that passage in James, the context is, is enduring trials. It's overcoming. It's go, going through these rough times in life. But there's also, within that context, this idea of desire, it, It's kind of hidden there, and I want to bring it out to you guys as we look at the passage again. Looking at that second verses, uh, 14 and 15, it says, But each person, and this is the, the penalty. We're looking at the penalty of coveting. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after his desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when it is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So the penalty is death spiritual death. And the reason for the the penalty is an improperly placed desire. So his own evil desires. Desires was for something, something wrong, something (laughs) evil, something forbidden, perhaps. And so that penalty was caused by his desire. Now, if we look at the reward, it says this, a man who endures trials is blessed. Because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Of course, the reward is life. And this is spiritual, eternal life. It could also be our just favor, God's favor, while we're here on earth. Now, the reason for that is a properly placed desire. It says, for those who love him, for those who love God. Your, your desire is placed on God, on pleasing God, on God's will. You know, the word says God is love. It says love is this, that you obey my commands and keep them. So, so it gives these, the, these connections to desire and love. So the result or the decision of properly coveting is the crown of life, life itself. So overall, the reward or penalty is up to you, whether the object of our desire is properly placed in God or in possessions and in donkeys and, and houses. So the decision of coveting is up to us. Now last, the dynamic of coveting or the dynamic of coveting well. Now the, by dynamic all I really mean is this is the application. How do we apply it to our lives? How do we do this today? And I have two passages. Uh, Philippians 4, 11 through 13 is the first, and uh, Ecclesiastes 12, 13 is second. Now, like I said, we're, we're all over the place, so I hope, hope you're still buckled in. It's a lot, of, a lot to cover. But this is uh, Philippians 4, 11 through 13 says, I do not say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know both how to have a little, and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. So the dynamic of how, how we do this or apply this in our life, the first is learning the secret of being content, as, as Paul had, which is being able to be satisfied with what we already have. And the second is relying on God's strength. When he says at the end, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, that's connected to this idea of the secret of contented, contentedness. You know, when we feel like we're missing something, we're lacking something, we rely on God's strength to help us through those moments of life when we are, there are times when we don't have a lot. There are times when, you know, it's hard to pay the bills or you have to, you know, cut down maybe the grocery list a little bit. You know, there are times when it's rough, you know, and, and no amount of anything is going to make that change. But relying on God's strength will bring us through it. So the next verse is Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. And I always like this because it's it's written by, it's a wisdom book. It's written by Solomon, who's had all the money in the world. He's done all the things in the world. And all of that that book is about all the things he's done. He's he's had the greatest parties. He's studied all the things there are to study. And at the end of it, he he says this. says, when all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commands, because this is for all humanity. Now, that, that idea of fearing God is, is just a real tough, tough concept. Now, I found this in the, the, the Holman Christian Standard Bible. has like a footnote, and it says this. No single English word conveys, conveys every aspect of the word fear in this phrase. The meaning includes worshipful submission, rever- reverential awe, and obedient respect to the covenant-keeping God of Israel. So when we think of those things, though, that, that, that submission, that, that awe, I kind of think of the idea of, of also desiring his will. If, if you're obedient to God, if you're submissive to God, if, if you do all these things, you, you want his will above your own will as Christ said in the garden, let your will, not mine, be done. So there's, I tie that to the same idea of desiring God, desiring God's will. The proper fear of God involves, as a result, desiring his will to be done. So as I look at that dynamic of coveting well, how we apply it, it's fearing God and desiring that his will be done in our lives. And to review all of those, that's how we can apply this to our life by being satisfied with what we have, by relying on God's strength when we have very little. Fearing God, a proper fear, reverential, submissive fear of God, that is tied to desiring his will in our life. So again, here's our summary. We talked about the definition of coveting. The bottom line is, it's synonymous with desire. It can be good or bad. We talked about the don'ts of coveting. And the bottom line there was, you just don't covet what's not yours. You know, don't covet someone else's things. Don't try to get other people's things through, through evil or wicked means. And it's one thing to say, I want a house like that, or I want to do better to do these certain things, but it's another thing to take what, what's not yours. And that idea, it, it's, it, it relates to most of the other 10 commandments. You know, if you're breaking, I always feel like we talk about like the gateway drug like I would say, coveting is like the gateway, the gateway sin, you know, because it leads to adultery, it leads to stealing, it leads to lying, it leads to murder, it leads to a lot of the other sins we're not supposed to do. So, so do not <coughs> covet what is not rightfully yours or what you rightfully should not have. The dues of coveting is to desire God. Place your focus, place your desire, make Him the object of your desire of all the things you want, that should be the top of the list. The decision of coveting is either life or death, depending on on how we focus our desire. And that dynamic of coveting well is being satisfied with what we have and desiring God, having a reverent fear of God. So my challenge to you guys when it comes to being happy or content with what we have, is to physically put a list, pen to paper, and start thinking, what am I thankful for? Start thinking about even some of the things you're not thankful for. Sometimes you can think, what if I didn't have that? Because so, sometimes, you know, we have a, a car that's falling apart. Like, I'm really not thankful for that car. But think about, what if I didn't have it? Th- then you'd probably appreciate it a lot more. You'd probably miss that car that didn't, didn't work too well. Uh, so so being happy for pen, put pen to paper and think about what you're happy for what what you're satisfied with count your blessings in other words and the other is to commit to memory the, the lord's prayer and I think this ties well to what Michael spoke about this morning when he talked about acts adoration confession thanksgiving supplication that's in the lord's prayer the lord's prayer is something that when we're weak, when, we're, when we're, we find ourselves not desiring him or his will in our life or putting him up top, this is one thing that helps us refocus. So with that in mind, I can close today's sermon and I'll pray this prayer together. And then that will be it. <coughs> Please pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the power, the kingdom, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.